welcome to Inquire, the Investor Relations Podcast. In today's interview, I'm delighted to be joined by Anna Hartrop, the founder of Anna Hartrop Limited, the recruitment consultancy. Anna is ingrained in UK investor relations. She has strong connections into private and listed companies, financial communication agencies, as well as private equity. And she champions the work of the Investor Relations Society in the UK as a committee member. Before she started her own investor relations recruitment business around six years ago, Anna held positions in politics, communications, in-house investor relations, and investment banking. I'm very excited about this conversation as Anna's insights, both having worked in in-house investor relations, but more recently in recruitment, particularly around what companies are looking for in candidates in the current market, I believe will be hugely insightful and beneficial for our audience. So welcome, Anna. Can we start by talking a little bit about your approach to IR recruitment and what makes your particular approach so unique and successful? In some ways, I don't think I am that unique compared to other traditional recruiters out there. But I suppose there's two things I focus on, which I'm aware of as a focus in my work. And one is that I've done the job of IR. So I've got some insights, I understand the nuances, and I can share those experiences with candidates and also with with clients, which I think helps. And the second thing is, which is probably a bit strange, I focus a lot on my candidates rather than just my clients. Yes, my clients mandate me, but my candidates are the people I want to grow with through their careers. So I want them to be fulfilled in their jobs. I don't want them and I won't ever pressure them into taking a job that they don't really want to do, which I think is really important. And if they are fulfilled in their IR careers, that ultimately is going to keep coming back as sort of virtuous cycle for me. And I will grow with them and help them get more jobs as they continue through their careers. Can you talk about how and why you transitioned out of investor relations and investment banking into recruitment? Effectively, whilst I was doing investment banking, I had more and more CFOs and CEOs ring me up and ask me questions like, Anna, you've got a very good network. Who do you know is looking for an IR job? Or who do you think would be particularly good for my small, fast-growing company? So I'd give them recommendations. I'd introduce them to people. And then it came to the stage where I thought I was probably doing that a bit more than I was doing investment banking. And I remember the wine bar where a few very good IR pals sat me down and said, you should do this. You've got a network. You're really good at it. Um, Everyone knows you. Go on, just give it a go. The market seems fragmented. So I did. I took a very bold step to launch an IR recruitment business, but I love it and I haven't looked back. And just spending a little bit of time giving the audience on your career in in in-house investor relations, uh, what did you enjoy the most about in-house investor relations? And then on the contrary, the least enjoyable aspect of those roles? So on the enjoyment side, I think most IROs will answer this probably the same way I'd like to think they would. It's being out there, it's interacting, it's communicating with your audience. And whether that could be an internal stakeholder audience or the more obvious external stakeholders, investors, analysts, etc. And advisors to some extent. So I really enjoyed interacting with those people, talking about the companies I work for, being the ambassador but also really crucially being able to get and glean insights and experience what they were thinking to take back into my own organization. So we had a a constant 360 sort of feedback with our investors and the analysts, and we knew what they were thinking about we were doing as a company, which is really important. What did I least enjoy? I think the management you get to work with is key. So I was lucky to work with some great management teams. They inspired me. I respected them. 
they listened to my advice, not always, but some of the time, and they really valued IR. I think if you work in a company where the management and the IR relationship is not as strong, or as if you feel your voice as IR is not being listened to, that becomes quite a frustrating place to be. So I was lucky in the respect that I did have those strong relationships and IR was definitely valued in the places that I worked. Really interesting point about the chemistry with the management team. Just Can I just probe into that a little bit in terms of your recruitment aspect? How much emphasis do you put on trying to match candidates from a sort of chemistry, personality, mindset perspective with the management teams you're representing? Sure. I always say to the management teams I'm recruiting for, I will bring you candidates who are competent to do the job. It is almost 10% experience and aptitude and competency, and it's 90% fit and cultural fit. Because you'll know no two businesses are the same, and it's really critical that the person that they hire, they like working with. You spend an inordinate amount of time with IR. You're on the road with them doing road shows. You're working late nights. You're sort of eyes and ears for management. You're in the back of the car listening to them thinking about strategy, et cetera, et cetera. So it's absolutely key. It's a pivotal relationship that you have to get right. So it's definitely key that cultural fit is going to lead any search in some respects more than the experience. What do you think are some of the key trends in how companies are approaching their IR resourcing? And any particular thoughts around how this may have evolved over the last few years since you moved into recruitment? So generally, I've seen that the industry has professionalized, let's say, over the last 10 to 15 years or so, even when when I was doing it way back when. IR has gone from being something that only a few companies had or most people had not ever heard of to being something that even small cap companies, you will know this, now have budget and resource for in some shape or form. So having and recognizing that IR is an element of being a listed company or thinking about being a listed company is absolutely critical and that is not going away anywhere fast. Add into that ESG. So more and more people now in IR need to be aware of how ESG is involved with their company strategy, how they need to articulate it, not just the metrics and the data and the analysis, but also thinking about what questions are going to come down the line. So for example, you could be a company where the G of ESG is really important to you and you need to be clued up on that and how to answer those questions more than the E or the S or vice versa in a different company. So you will find in your IR job, you've got to be an expert on ESG and then the elements within it and how it affects your organisation and your strategy. I think then there's been some specific trends, particularly since COVID. So Coming out of COVID, I was very surprised to see that people wanted or would even consider making a move. We were in a digital world back then, so people were having interviews online. I know people who took a job and they hadn't even seen the office or met their management in the flesh. You know, it's going back to that relation point. You've got to understand who you're going to be working with. Is the chemistry right? So it was surprising to see people would take those moves. They did. And then the one trend we saw was FTSE 100s also wanted to upskill the number two, the deputy level, if you like. I think because their remits had grown, they became experts in crisis comms during COVID as well as a dim day job of IR. So I think to have a really strong number two to go out there to help the A's of management, to help run the team in some respects, was key. And there was a lot of those that happened that year straight after COVID. Then the IPO market came back. So people, again, have become a bit more thoughtful about when they get IR involved. So, and you'll probably appreciate this, it makes much more sense for a company to have IR in before and help and give views and and help make sure the materials are as tipped up as they can be than 
cross the line, transact as a company, and then think, uh, what do we do about IR? We've suddenly got a hell of a lot of incomings and we've got no one to help us respond to those. So the IPO market definitely drives the IR recruitment at the moment. We'll say there's a bit of a hiatus in that, but that will come back. I'm absolutely certain. We've talked about ESG and that will continue to be a driving force. And then if you look at the start of this year, there's been a few FTSE 100 rolls out there, but I've seen a lot more FTSE 250s return to think about IR. And again, they want solid IR. In some cases, they want to perhaps change the IR remit a bit. And for that IR hire to be doing a bit more or be doing something a bit different to what they had before. So it's constantly evolving, but I'd say they're the key trends I've seen over the last sort of three to five years. Really insightful. Thank you for sharing that that very succinct summary. Uh, just coming back on two points, IPA market, I couldn't agree more. Equatory, there's a lot of work, particularly with the primary markets, seems to the exchanges to try and educate better uh, the value that IR can bring to the table much, much earlier in the process. So it's certainly encouraging to hear that companies are starting to consider appointing IR well ahead of the intention to float announcement being published. And secondly, I just wanted to ask you a follow-up regarding ESG. Are you seeing many IR teams recruit a dedicated IR slash sustainability expert? Perhaps some of the larger IR teams might have a dedicated resource for this. Only a couple, in my experience. So if you think of the large caps, there's usually a separate sustainability team within that organisation or somebody doing ESG. So IR will work hand in glove very closely with those separate teams. And it's very unusual for IR to have a dedicated person doing it. That said... I have been involved with a couple of searches for FTSE 100s where the IR person, still very much IR as the focus, will also be responsible for more ESG in their remit. So I think it's very company specific. I think it's only large caps. But going back to that general point, you can't do IR now and not know about ESG generally. So you've got to be a mini expert, I'd say, regardless. Turning to the recruitment process. What are your top tips for candidates who are preparing for an interview? And perhaps if there are any differences at senior director level and more entry level sort of IR managers or associates or analyst levels to consider? So on those senior level roles, it sounds really simple, but just be as prepared as you possibly can be. These are senior level jobs that are paying a lot of money in salaries. You need to be all over the broken notes. You need to have done some DD if you can. If it's not a confidential search, you need to be thinking around what you would do differently, how the IR focus could perhaps or or should change in your view, all questions that you'll be asked. And you can't really answer those on the hoof. So definitely be as prepared as possible. And that goes for the junior level as well. And then I think across both of them, I'd say, show your passion, show your enthusiasm. Everyone I know who does IR is enthusiastic about their job. It is a fantastic industry to be in and people love working generally, perhaps not every day of the year with its challenges, but on the whole, it is a profession that people love doing and they're passionate about it. And show that. So show that enthusiasm and what you'll bring to the party at the interview. You show your level of ambition, be hungry, but equally don't ask when you're going to take your boss's job because that's not a great question to ask and it's never a good look to have. So be naturally enthusiastic, I'd say. On the more junior side, I think all of those points are still relevant, but you have got to balance off that level of hunger and ambition. There's still a recognition that you've got more to learn in your career and you want to do that. And that should come across very well. Your passion for learning as well as to do the job, but equally recognising that you don't know everything today and getting that balance right and, and a bit of humility is going to go a long way, I think. Really, really helpful. And I think candidates should definitely avoid doing in the process. And I don't know if you've got any 
anonymous or substantial examples you can share of something that it might have excluded someone quite early in the process? Definitely on the preparedness point. You know, if someone has come away and they were asked about, have you read the breaker notes? And they give an honest view, which is no, I cringe because again, that point, these are senior level jobs. There's not a lot of them around in the market. Please turn up and be prepared. So if yeah, your answer to the question is you haven't bothered to read the broker notes, I've got to think, why have you not done that? I think, again, asking too detailed questions too early on. So if you go in and ask what the, I don't know, policy is for extra days, holidays to go off and have a honeymoon or something like that, isn't a great look early on. But so learning to read the room and working out what finer detail you can ask me or recruiters like me offline and versus what you want to ask management and the impression that you want them to go away with. If you turn up and you show your level of hunger and your passion again, they will stand you in, in further stead than somebody who's very lacklustre, even if you haven't done the homework, be as buoyant and confident and upbeat as you can. So currently I'm getting contacted by former sell-side analysts and investment bankers who are looking to make the move into in-house IR. I think this can be challenging as, as my understanding is a lot of corporates have a strong preference for candidates who already have the in-house IR experience. Do you have any thoughts on this subject or any particular advice for those types of candidates? So from my experience, my client base has always been very binary in this respect. And what I mean by that is if a company has taken an IR person from a different walk of life, say whether that's banking, advisory, financial PR to some extent, sell-side analysts, and it's worked well, they will be more open to looking at taking another IR hire from similar backgrounds. Some of my clients, however, only want people with 5 to 10, 10 to 15 years in-house IR experience. And in my experience of that, there's no point in me trying to persuade them otherwise. They have taken a view on that for various reasons, and it is almost impossible to change it. So if that's what they're going to feel comfortable working with, that's what I have to look to find them. What that means, if you're an analyst or an, a banker or advisor looking to move into IR for the first time, there's absolutely every possibility you will move in and transition and become a fantastic IRO. But the pool from which you can look for a job is narrower than if you are an existing in-house IR candidate. What are your thoughts on the different career progression opportunities for an IR professional who's looking to make their next move within the role of investor relations? So for example, going to a smaller company to be part of a smaller team versus being part of a, a larger IR team at a larger company. I think the advice I always give my candidates and hopefully it makes sense is Make any move in your career as long as you can justify it and back it up. So if you can explain the rationale for why you made that move, nobody will think twice about it. It's your career and you make the moves yourself. So to give you an example, if you've worked in large cap all of your life, there might be a fantastic IR opportunity in small cap. And if you feel it's right for you because you're going to get a wider remit, you're going to get much more involved. The company's going through a particular stage of strategic change or growth at the time. And you want to see that and experience it go and do it. Vice versa, if you've worked in small cap and you want to join a team, perhaps as the number two rather than the number one in a large cap, it will give you different insights and different experience. And it crucially, all of these changes, it's a bit like peeling an onion to see another layer of a company, what the culture's like, what the management's like, what the head of finance is like, and do you get on with them? Different people to work with, different internal strategies to work alongside, and different things to articulate as the ambassador of that team in an IR role. So if something is interesting and you can see the good reasons to take a move, regardless of size, then do it. 
Do you have any good examples of candidates who've then transitioned out of IR into perhaps more senior or strategic roles or C-suite roles within companies that you can share? This is a harder question to answer in some respects, because as I said, people love IR and sometimes happiness and reaching the sort of pinnacle of one's career in IR is just staying in IR and doing things really well at companies that could be bigger than you working in before. It could be a different remit. So not all IR people want to become a CFO and quite a lot of them, actually the majority don't, they want to stay in IR, which is why you get such strong and amazing talent in the IR industry. Yes, there have been examples though where people have moved into financial roles, CFO roles, they have moved to take NED positions and become plural at some stage in their career. They've taken on wider remits such as corporate affairs, corporate communications, and sometimes strategy with IR and sometimes sort of a, if a company is very acquisitive, then they'll do more on the M&A corporate finance side as well. So it can be a blended role. It really is, again, very individual and very company specific. So sometimes the opportunities will come up internally without the individual sort of mapping out their career of what they want to go to and again if it's an interesting role then why not take it and go and do that can always return to IR at some stage or people will have a very defined route and they'll think yeah I want to do five to seven years in IR I then want to work in the finance team and ultimately I want to become a CFO. How honest should candidates be about their longer term career ambitions in this respect when they're interviewing for a head of or director of IR role? So I think striking that right balance, as I said before, is really important in a conversation or an interview with your management. So if you show that you want to keep learning and that you're ambitious to keep on moving in your career, that's a very attractive trait. And it shows you have a lot of confidence in your own abilities. It also helps them and the, the HR teams of those companies think about professional development areas of focus. And it can be easier in some respects to think where these candidates will go in their careers and at that company. So it's about striking that balance. Again, it's showing that you're enthusiastic and ambitious to do the role and continue learning in it without looking that you are going to be too eager and get frustrated if things don't move quick enough in your own development within the team or to take a, a more senior role within that organisation. Can you talk about the most challenging IR position you've had to place? Some of the mandates I take on with my clients, I have very good discussions and I immediately have that light bulb moment and think, yes, this is who or the type of person I should be placing in that role. Others are more challenging because either companies will start to meet candidates and their views of IR and the candidate they thought they wanted to hire changes or the remit or the situation of the company changes as you go through the search. So where something is very clearly defined and the goalposts are set, it's a much clearer way to run a search and find individuals to introduce to a company. If something is moving around, if the individuals that are involved in the recruitment process change themselves, if management don't have the time to consider to the process that they thought they did, if the company changes, gosh, if it suddenly has a profit warning, if they get an activist on the board, et cetera, et cetera, all of these things can impact what they thought was a perhaps a more straightforward hire for IR might make them reflect and think we want somebody more senior than we did, or we want somebody to be involved with strategy. And we didn't think that two months ago when we started the search. Equally, I've seen it go the other way. And there are roles where CFO and HR teams think they want to recruit at a level below the IR they've had as the incumbent, which is always quite tricky because I think there's a level of reputation that IR has in the market and you consider somebody to be a certain level and then if a job changes that's quite a hard sell actually for somebody to go in and do a different job to, to what they thought their peer or their colleague was doing in IR for that company. 
just on that point about something changing last minute, what do you often see candidates doing if there's a, a management change just as they're signing for a new role? If they are IR career professionals, which most of my candidates are, they will not be phased by that because you would know as well as I do that you can start working with a management team. It can change very quickly and very unexpectedly. And nine and a half times out of 10, my candidates will say, all right, I've seen that news and that's interesting and I half expected it or, well, hey, that's IR and they carry on going for the interview and they get it anyway. Because what's to stop somebody being employed and they have week one in a new job and then the change happens. So that is IR. You have to expect the unexpected and everyone does it with professionalism, which is great. I'm keen to talk a little bit about compensation. So interested to understand if you've seen any changes in the total reward packages offered to candidates. In particular, it'd be interesting to understand how many companies offer equity or participation in the LTIP scheme as part of their remuneration. Yes, on two respects. So firstly, IR salaries have increased above inflation. So over the last few years, they have gone up, which is a great surprise to a number of people when um, they take my phone call about future jobs. It can also be surprising to clients recruiting, by the way, because they've got to find perhaps a larger budget than they thought. However, most people recognise that they're paying for, for good talent, so that isn't an issue. So salaries have increased. Then at senior level roles, I've also seen a bit more of a trend to flex and offer a flex on the elements of that package. So you'll get your base salary, which is set, and you'll get a bonus, which is set, and then you'll get equity. Now, some cases, and I'm seeing this increasingly, companies will offer the preferred candidate a salary and X percent of equity, a higher salary and lower equity. Or they'll say to the candidate, or would you prefer the inverse? And it's completely up to the candidate. So you know what your your monthly and yearly outgoings are and what your financial obligations are as to whether you prefer the cash today and possible equity or whether actually you take a view on this super fast growing company, let's say, and think that as an IR, your job is to help stoke that equity and it will create success and give you good returns in the medium term. So that's definitely something that I'm seeing as a flexible option to preferred candidates for sure. I think it plays to value that people are really starting to attach to the role of investor relations and, and how a good and talented IR professional can really help shape the valuation of a company. Definitely. I agree with that. And I think a lot of people don't understand what the salary level should look like in IR. And if you're a candidate, you know, there's very few bits of information as to see how you can benchmark your own salary. So what I'd say in that respect is, yes, there are industry salary surveys, how comprehensive are they? Well, they won't have gone around every individual doing IR in the market, so they're not 100% comprehensive. They'll give you some idea. But really, talk to someone like me or another recruiter. We're very happy to give free advice on that and say where we think you are. Now, what do you do with that information if you're a candidate? It's very hard to go back to your CFO and say, apparently, I'm 30% underpaid, so I'd like you to correct that. No CFA is going to be happy to have that conversation like that. But I think if management teams or HR teams are open to salary benchmarking regularly, nine times out of 10, they usually will try and do something to make reparation of where there is a gap. And I'm quite often asked by HR teams for independent thoughts on that and where benchmarking should be, which is great to see. I do think it's important for everyone to have a, a sense of, of what a, a fair market benchmark is for their rates and, and use that as part of their annual performance review process. I don't know if you've got any additional thoughts around that. I think my only thought would be 
when I have conversations with some candidates who've been ingrained in their roles for a while and they're very happy in those roles, I always chuckle to myself when I ask them what they're being paid because actually not everyone can remember or they haven't thought about it. And I think that's a really good sign that they love their job and they're not just counting the pennies every month for the reward of it, which is great. So what are your top tips for someone who's early on in their investor relations career? I would say use the IR society. So I remember way back in my early stage of IR career, I found that invaluable as a resource, as a networking opportunity to get their updates, to get their um, annual best practice reviews and why were people winning the awards they were, etc. For you to understand what other companies are doing in IR, because it can be quite a lonely, siloed place to be in IR, especially if you're in a small team, which most of them are. So use the IR society as much as you can. You know, as I said, briefings, updates, networking, but then to do some of their certificates in IR and their education, their diplomas, I think is invaluable as you progress through your career. On a similar vein, work out who your peers are and what experiences and knowledge you can glean from them. Everyone has shared insights. You know, you won't be able to give the minutiae of detail about something that's confidential that your company is undergoing, but we've all got similar shared experiences that we can talk about. And I think through that and understanding of that is how we really can learn to appreciate and get better in our own careers and how we respond to things. What excites you most about your business and what you're doing currently? I think is. The IR industry, as I've mentioned, keeps changing. It keeps evolving, which makes things very exciting for my business. Being able to give advice to my clients as to what IR should look like and what's right for their company needs now and in the future and future-proofing it almost is a bit of a challenge, but it's a great intellectual challenge to have. So as these changes keep happening, being able to respond to that and see how candidates' experience and remits have widened to incorporate different elements of that is exciting. And seeing how people's careers and development change within that and how they respond to all of those changes is incredibly rewarding. And as a founder, do you have any advice for someone who's thinking of setting up as an individual consultant or founding their own business? Is there anything you wish you'd known when you started out that you know now? So I've been incredibly lucky to have a lot of support right from the start, as I mentioned, from great friends in IR and out of IR and also family. And As a small business owner, it can be a very lonely place. So you take advice and support from your network and that's invaluable. And I'd say keep talking to other business owners. So I recently had a a cup of coffee with a lady who does recruitment in fashion, nothing to do with IR. There are a lot of similarities about how we run our businesses and the types of client we've worked with and interacted with. And it was really key just to be able to, again, share those experiences. So networking as in IR the same as you're running a little business. As you will know, Clara, your business is much larger than mine. But I think being able to share your experiences is really vital. Couldn't agree more. I find any opportunity to speak to another consulting or agency founder incredibly helpful. And I've got quite a few who actually we run similar businesses in adjacent service areas and we meet maybe once a quarter and just compare notes on on how we're running our businesses, what's going well, what's been successful. And those conversations are invaluable. Um, And just coming back to your point around our IR experience, I think being able to network and build relationships is such a key part of being a successful IR practitioner. And I think that experience you get puts you in such a strong position to found a business and develop those that network and relationships to help you grow your business. So where next for Anna Hartrop? 
I want to keep doing more of the same. I'm very lucky that I work in an environment with fantastic people I used to work with as my peers, but who I still work with as my candidates and my clients. So I'm really fortunate that I get to have exciting conversations every day about where people's careers are going. Hopefully I can provide a bit of common sense and advice along the way with those constructive conversations with clients. There's nothing more satisfying than to be able to offer them advice and insights as to how they should think about what they want in IR versus what they thought they wanted five minutes before they met me. So definitely more of the same. I just will keep working with a great bunch of people in IR and I'm really lucky to do that. Anna, thank you so much for your time today. You've shared some really fascinating insights and lots of tips and advice, which I think our in-house IR listeners in particular uh, will be fascinated to hear about. Um, and I particularly really personally value your insights and expertise, both for Equatory and more broadly in the world of investor relations alongside the IR Society work that you're heavily involved in with as well. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And thank you for joining Inquire, the Investor Relations podcast. Please look out for our next episode in conversation with senior investor relations professionals in the UK.